It's a great honor to be here, and uh, what a joy it's been over 40 years to disciple students at West Texas A&M University. God has done amazing things, and we have seen over 90 men and women go into full-time ministry in the 30 years that God has placed me there. Not only that, we've had students in 92 different countries serving Jesus and sharing the gospel, but it's a joy to be in a church that, that God has brought up through a student who was willing to say yes to Jesus. What a great joy, and, and this is the result of that. So praise God for his work in Curtis's life and Allison's life and their family, and for you being willing to trust that guy. I don't know how you do, <laughs> but, but that's okay. Uh, the reality is that picture shows one truth. Six-packs always turn into a keg. Uh, so uh, that's the way life works, I think. I want to introduce to you the person that really makes things happen, and that's my wife, Susan. Susan, would you stand? This is Susan. Susan, for a long time, was a children's minister at First Baptist Canyon, and then now is doing ministry still with kids, and mainly with our kids and grandkids. Uh, But I wouldn't be here without her. Every morning, she gets up, uh, gets cleaned up, and heads to the prayer room. We have a little chair there, and she sits there, and uh, so she takes the first round of prayer for about an hour from about 5.30 to 6.30, and then I get up at 7 and take the next round from about 7.30 till about 9, and then we go on with our day. And so I want to challenge you, uh, if that's not your heart in marriage, you need to make it your heart. You need to make prayer the central part of your marriage, growing together and praying together, not just one of you, but both of you. Praying not just for yourself, but praying for your community, praying for your children, praying for your future children, your grandchildren, praying for this church, praying for your pastor, praying for leaders. So I'm here because of the faithful prayers of someone who gets up every day and spends time with Jesus. Well, I want to talk to you about something very important. When Easter happens, we all get hyped up. We get dressed up. We look good. We feel great. We got our Easter baskets. We do Easter egg hunts. We, we, we get new dresses, not men, of course, but the ladies get new dresses and, and we get our hair done and, and we show up. But I want to talk to you about what happens after Easter. One of my favorite times to go to the store is the day after a holiday. And you know why? Because everything is half price. So you get all your Christmas stuff for the next year. You guys know what I'm talking about. You go, man, I'm going to be first in line there at Walmart. Forget Black Friday. I'm for the day after. And I want to be there because everything is on sale, especially the candy. You can get everything you want. And my fear is that that's the way we feel about Easter. It's hyped up. It's ready to go. We've had Passover. But listen to me. Passover happened, now Pentecost is coming. And if we don't look for the Pentecost to come after the Passover, we've missed the reason for Easter. And so there is a very obscure scripture in the the text in the book of Acts that I want us to look at today. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, we're going to understand what it's going to take for us to move beyond Easter from Passover to Pentecost. And I want to read this text to you, and I don't know if Curtis does this, but I would ask that you stand in the reading of God's Word, please. You can follow along on the the screen or in your personal Bible. 
In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while saying, uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we need your insight today. We need to know how to move past the hype of Easter to the day-by-day that leads us to Pentecost. And so, Father, we pray that we would be receptive to what your word says, that you would teach us your truth and know how to move forward to proclaim the gospel to a city and a community and to a state and a country and to a nation and to a world that desperately needs you. Father, we pray for listening ears. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are three insights I want to pull from this text, two that I want to address today, and then one Curtis is going to address, I think, next week. And the three are this. Number one, we want to learn about the Lord's presentation. Number two, we want to learn about the Lord's plan. Number three, we want to learn about the Lord's provision. So as we consider the text here, I want you to look at verse three. Verse 3 says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of people don't realize that Jesus didn't just come from the grave and then ascended to heaven. For 40 days after the resurrection, he was all over the place. He was appearing, proving that he was alive from the dead. Now, why was this necessary? It was necessary because his disciples didn't believe that he was going to raise from the dead. And so he had to go and he had to prove to them, you can't present something that you don't have proof of. And so he wanted to go to them and he wanted to show them that he was alive, that he was living, that he wasn't some dead leader, but he was an alive Savior. And so he wanted to do that, and and he did that in accordance with the Scripture. Now let me tell you what I'm talking about. I don't know if you know, but, but in, the, in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, God gave a command to Moses to say, there's going to be three feasts that you're going to have. And to the Jewish person, for those three feasts, they had to pack up all their belongings and they had to go to Jerusalem. They had to go to the temple. And those three feasts were the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And I want to tell you something that you may not like very much, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. I'm so sorry to tell you that. I would go on about Santa Claus, but I'm just going to let that one go. But Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. It was not God's plan. Because here's what happened. In all of the prosperity of God's 
people, he said to them, I want you to come back to honor me three times to Jerusalem. Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, and Booths. Booths is a time when the indwelling, where they come and they set up little tents, little shacks, and they live there all around Jerusalem to celebrate how God provided for them as his presence was there in the wilderness. It's probably when Jesus was born. That throws off everything because that's in September and October. How can you have Black Friday in September and October before Thanksgiving? It just doesn't work that way. But for God, it does. Why do you think the hotels were full? Because all the Jewish people had come in and taken all the hotel space. That's why it was full. Search it out for yourself. So that feast was taken care of with the coming of Jesus. Then Pentecost occurs 49 days after Passover. Passover occurs the day before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So I want, to, I want to give you a picture of what was happening when Jesus was arrested and crucified. Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, riding in on a donkey, expressing that he is God's lamb chosen to be the sacrifice for God's people. Seven days later is Passover. The Bible tells us in John that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation of Passover. Jesus died at 3 p.m., on the day before Passover. Now, this is why it's important. Because exactly at 3 p.m. in the temple down the hill from Calvary, the high priest was slaughtering a lamb. At the same time that our Savior was dying on the cross, the high priest was killing a lamb. You remember John the Baptist said, Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As the Jewish people were slaughtering their lamb at 3 o'clock that afternoon, getting it prepared for it to be cooked that night to celebrate and eat it after 6 p.m. on the Sabbath day that followed Jesus' death. That's the 14th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. On the 15th of Nisan, they start a seven-day celebration. Check this out. This is so God that every Jewish faithful follower had to remain in Jerusalem for seven days. Here is Passover. Jesus is killed the day before Passover. Passover happens now seven days, folks, seven days. All of the Jewish people who were faithful to God had to stay in Jerusalem. Do you know what was happening in Jerusalem after Jesus was resurrected? He was appearing to Mary. He was appearing to Peter. He was appearing to the disciples in the upper room. He was appearing to the guys on the road to Emmaus. You know what the scuttlebutt was all in Jerusalem? Did you hear what happened to Jesus? Yeah, he's alive from the dead. Go up and take a look at the tomb. Every male Jew, their wife and their children could walk up that hill to that tomb and they could see that it was empty. And that began way back on Mount Sinai when God said, I have a plan for humanity. I'm going to bring them in on this day because I want them to walk up the hill and see that their Savior lives. Seven days they could do that. Seven days they could hear the scuttlebutt all around. But let me back it up just a minute. I may not finish this sermon, but I'll get this part done. 
because this is why he was there for 40 days. Notice in your text, it says this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering for 40 days. Do you realize that when Jesus came out of the water for 40 days, he went into the wilderness and was tested to see if he was the right one? And when he rose from the grave, he walked around the earth for 40 days to prove that he was the resurrected one. From the beginning to the end, God had a plan. From the onset, he had a plan that he was going to let everybody know that Jesus is alive from the dead. Whew! Uh, It gets better. Because we see why he had to go around. And I want you to move through a couple of slides. So if you'll move forward to the next slide uh, in the presentation so you guys can see it. I want to show you that not only was the timing right, but the text was right. Because he had a task that he wanted to prove. You see, the timing was right because 33 days after Jesus was resurrected, after he was resurrected, he ascended. That leaves one week before Pentecost. When Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes, they stayed in that room and prayed for one week. And then Pentecost came. And you know what happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit was poured out. But guess what happened? The Jewish people here, they see, they can go up and they can hear. They can, they can have all these things going on. And guess what happens? Now then, they come back from Pentecost. And when they come back to Pentecost, what do you think is the conversation that's going on? Hey, what do you think about what happened at Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Is that Jesus really alive? Well, the 500 he appeared to in Galilee showed up and said, we saw him in Galilee. The fishermen who were on the bank and fishing, and and Jesus came to them and prepared a meal for them. They came and they said, we saw him too. Thomas said, I saw him. I felt his side. I saw that he was alive from the dead. And so all that preparation for those 49 days between Passover and Pentecost, the conversation was about Jesus. No wonder when Peter stands up and he begins to proclaim the risen Lord that the Holy Spirit fell with power and 3,000 people were saved. Why? Because for 40 days, the proof of Jesus was manifest all over that region. Everybody knew. Oh, this is so good. Turn with me to Luke 24. And in Luke 24, you'll see it there on the screen, Luke 24, 18. Jesus appears to these men walking on the road to Emmaus. And when he appears to them, this is on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And when he appears to them, Jesus comes to them, but they don't recognize him. And then all of a sudden, they say, look at what they say. Then one of them named Cleophas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? Are you the only visitor? You see, when God wants to make his name known, he makes his name known. When God wants to proclaim the resurrected Lord, he proclaims the resurrected Lord. When he wants, he wants people to hear about the saving faith they can have in Jesus Christ, he will go to great extremes to make holidays coincide with what his son is doing. That's what God does. Well, that's the timing. Let's look at the task. 
The task is very simple, three things. Number one, Jesus came during these 40 days to reassure those who doubt. If you look at the story in John chapter 20, verses 27 to 28, what do you think that uh, Thomas did? He says, after seeing Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. You see, he takes and he reassures those who doubt. Do you doubt things about God? Do you doubt whether he really is the Savior? Do you doubt whether he's alive from the dead? Do you doubt whether he lived the perfect life and died for your sins? Do you doubt that he can keep you and preserve you when you get saved? Do you doubt those things? Oh, dear friend, it is the resurrected Jesus who will come and reassure you if you will just look at the evidence in his word. Thomas didn't have the evidence. He said, I just want to see the evidence. So a week after he had appeared to them without Thomas being there, Doors are closed. They're sitting in there. Jesus just appears. Whoo! Beam me up, Scotty. He just appears. And then he says to Thomas, why do you doubt? Look here, check my hands out. I'm really the person you know me to be. Look at my side. And then he ate with them. Where there's doubt, turn to the evidence and the Holy Spirit will make it known to you the truth of the Word of God. He needed evidence. But you know, in that text, it's very good because it says, Thomas, you believe because you see. How much more blessed are those who believe and have not seen? So he reassures those who doubt. If you doubt, turn to him. Not only that, he restores those who deny. You remember what Peter did? Peter was sitting at a campfire and someone said, you're with him, aren't you? Peter said, no, not me. Not me. I'm not with him. Oh, dear friend, we deny Christ every day with our thoughts and with our actions. We deny him and then we wonder, am I still saved? Am I still good? Am I still in the kingdom? And you remember what happened during those 40 days? Jesus goes up to Galilee. The fishermen are out fishing. They fish all night. They catch nothing. And then he hears a voice from the shore, fish on the other side, guys. (laughs) Yeah, you're a fisherman. (laughs) But at his word, they did. They caught a great catch. Peter looks over. He sees that it's Jesus. He takes off his outer robe. I want to tell you what. Peter must have been a great swimmer. He would have won the Olympics because he jumped off that boat and he headed full speed quicker than Michael Phelps could swim the 50. And he got there to that shore, drenched and wet. And guess what was there? A campfire. Jesus turns to him and doesn't even talk about what happened at the campfire in the courtyard. He says, Peter, do you love me? That's all I want to know. He doesn't say, Peter, did you deny me? Why did you do that? Why did you go through that? Why did you turn that way? Why did you fall away from me? He didn't say any of that. He just looked with eyes of love and with fish in the fire and bread ready to eat. And he says, come, wayward one, come back. You're forgiven. I want you to think about this. In the courtyard at the campfire, He forsook his Savior. At the campfire at the beach, he was forgiven by his Savior. So rich. Have you denied him? 
Have you tried your best to live for him, but you keep falling on your face? That computer screen keeps popping up and it's right there looking at you. That post that you keep popping up and those words that keep coming out of your mouth and those things that you keep saying, have you just said, I can't do it anymore? Have you fallen and forsaken him and you feel like I can't come back? Oh, dear friend, you may have fallen at one campfire. There's forgiveness at another. Do you love me? That's all we ask. Do you love me? Not only did he come with the task of reassuring those who doubt and and restoring those who deny, but he also came to, to redirect those who were deficient. I was horrible in math as a kid. Matter of fact, my sixth grade teacher said I wasn't going to amount to anything because all I did during math time was chewing my eraser. (laughs) I wish that I could find her and show her my doctorate now and say, what do you think of this? But then that would be pride and I have to go to the campfire again, so I don't want to do that. But we are all deficient in the Word of God. We are biblically illiterate. No matter how long you read the Scriptures, there's always going to be something new you're going to find. I want you to look at what the the guys on the road to Emmaus said. They basically said in in Luke 24, 22, they said this. They said, we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. The disciples said here in our text in in Acts 1, 6, uh, they said this. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Here's what they believed Jesus was coming to do. They believed Jesus was coming to overthrow the Roman government and set up a kingdom on earth. Oh, even Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says what? Oh, Pilate, listen to me. If my kingdom was of this world, you would not be standing here, bro. (laughs) You would be gone. Because I could call down whatever I want to call down, and you would be fried. That would be the end of it for you, buddy. But no, he looks and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I would have people fight for me. The delusion and the deception that the disciples had was that they thought that he was going to defeat the Roman Empire and create this Jewish nation. God is not about creating a nation on earth. He already has that plan with the new heaven and the new earth. Why does he want to redo this false one when we can get a brand new one? So he has to redefine and redirect their education to say, look, it's not about that. It's not about building my kingdom on this earth. It's about building my kingdom for heaven. It's about those things. And I love Luke 24, 27. When in in the discussion with the guys on the road to Emmaus, he says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures that pertain to him. And not one of them talked about him overthrowing the Roman nation. It all talked about him living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, and making a way for us to be saved and be in the kingdom of God. We need to be re-educated. Let me just tell you one thought I had when I first became a Christian my freshman year in college. I sat on my bed and I thought in my dorm room at Stephen F. Austin, and I said, I'm ready to go, God, take me up. (laughs) Nothing happened. (laughs) And I thought, well, I became a Christian, so go ahead and take me on into heaven. I'm ready to go. And it came very clear back to me. 
No, you're to build my kingdom. And I said, well, how am I supposed to do that? He said, one person at a time. You build my kingdom one person at a time. And I said, what does that mean? He says, you begin by sharing with your roommate who's lost. And so I did. And I remember, I'll never forget it, when Ty took off his cowboy hat, hung up his rope, and I was not a kicker, and he was. (laughs) Knelt by his bed and prayed to receive Jesus. About a week after I got saved. Because I had lived out the gospel and shared the gospel with him. Listen carefully to me. Our task is very simple. It's to proclaim Christ and let the Holy Spirit do his work. It's to proclaim Christ and let the Holy Spirit do his work. So the last thing that I want to share with you is not only the Lord's presentation that he presented himself for 40 days and made it very clear that he was risen from the dead to Mary, to Peter, to the disciples, to Thomas, to the 500 in Galilee, to the fishermen along the bank, and to those who gathered to watch him ascend. That he has come with a task, and that task is still alive today, to reassure you that are doubting, to restore you that have denied him, and to re-educate you when, when you're Thoughts are deficit toward him. But oh, dear friend, the last thing he did before he ascended was he told them about his plan. And I need you to hear this because in talking and praying with Curtis, he wants me to issue a challenge to the church. There are two aspects that we see here. If you look at Acts chapter 1, you'll see here in verse 2, it says, until the day when he was taken up after he, had com- after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And then you look later and it says, during the 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. There are two tasks that he left with his church. And he spent those 40 days telling the disciples these two tasks, ingraining that into their being so they would know what would happen after Pentecost when they received the power of the Spirit to accomplish it. Number one, to complete his commission. You know his commission, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Let me be real clear here. He's only given one commission, and that commission is not complete. Oh, it is finished on the cross, but it's not complete in culture. It's finished on the cross. He did it all. But we haven't taken hold of the commission. We're not sharing the gospel with our co-workers and our neighbors and proclaiming the truth that we need to proclaim. We are living in this bubble of the church, but we're not going out to the community. And dear friends, it's time this Easter that if we truly are resurrected, that we're going to proclaim him resurrected that we're going to live it out, but we're not just going to live it out in hopes that they see that we're a believer and we get up and drive to church on Sunday and Wednesday and Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and all the days that you come here. But they're going to hear from our lips that he is alive. 
The guys on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus revealed himself to them, you know what they did? They ran as fast as they could back to Jerusalem, telling everybody on the way, he's risen, he's risen, he's risen. Now, if you want to be a fool for Jesus, run around your neighborhood at Easter and say he's risen. And then I'll meet you in the pavilion the next day. Or the Lord will say, look at my servant. Well done. The commission is not complete, and it's up to you to complete it. Last Easter was a pandemic. Most of us sheltered in place, didn't we? I've never had a greener yard. I sheltered outside mostly. Me and the dandelions had a lot of talking to do. And those spider weeds, we had a lot to deal with them. My dumpster was full of them, but my lawn is beautiful. I call it my COVID lawn. But as I was out in my lawn, I began to realize I was so involved in ministry on the college campus a couple of blocks down the street that I didn't even know the names of my neighbors. And the Lord just overwhelmed me because I don't spray my weeds. I get on my knees and pick them up to remind me that there are so many weeds in my life. You can ask my wife. I go out every day and I see, my grandsons help me. I say, let's look for those yellow flowers. And they call me Pong Yo, which is Chinese for friend. And and so they say Pong Yo, except for my youngest one. He's uh, 18 months. He calls me Popo. He hadn't learned what that means yet. So he calls me Popo. He said, Popo, here's yellow flower, yellow flower. Boy, they just, they're like bird dogs. Boom. And then I get down there and pull them up. But I looked up and I said, man, my neighbors, I wonder what they're going through. So I began to pray for toilet paper. Did you pray for toilet Anybody else pray for toilet paper? I wasn't praying for toilet paper because we were running low because we hoarded it, man. I'm sorry. If you need some toilet paper, we still got a year's worth left. It's back in the shed. I'm sorry. I'm that guy. But I would go to Sam's almost every day and I would just walk in and that lady knew me. This Sam's right over here in Osage. And I'd go there every day and I'd say... Can you help me? I need that 48-pack of toilet paper. She said, well, the truck hadn't come in yet. I'm going, I thought the truckers were essential workers. Where are they at? I go back the next day. No, sir. I didn't even have to ask the question after about four or five days. No, sir. And then I remember, I just sat in my car and I said, Lord, I want to minister to my neighbors by giving an Easter basket with toilet paper in it. (laughs) But I can't get any toilet paper. You have to be bigger than toilet paper here, God. And I walk in, and she has a big smile on her face. She goes, they're unloading the truck right now. And I said, praise God. I mean, I stood in front of Sam. I said, praise God. And she just looked at me. I said, ma'am, you don't understand. I've been praying for toilet paper, not for me, but I can share the gospel with my neighbors. And she goes, bless you, brother. Bless you. We just had a little rejoicing time there. So I went back, and I got my 48-pack of toilet paper, went up and checked out at Sam's, went home, and I showed my wife, and we rejoiced together. We made little bunny ears out of the, the stuff and, and put it in there, put some Kleenex in there with it, and I just delivered them. But I didn't set them on the door. I knocked on the door. Well, there was one home that they were never there. It didn't seem like they were there, so I just left it there. Next thing you know, I get a letter from those people that live about five houses down, and she says, what kindness you have shown us. how you have expressed Christ like I've never seen before. Well, we opted to do it again this year. 
without the toilet paper. So we put in candies. Now I was waiting for half price, but it didn't work. Put the candies in there. Put little shells, little Easter egg shells, and put the candy in there. And I got little stuff in there. And, we, and I always write a little note. I write my personal card of the gospel. And so I just kept looking down the road because I needed to talk to her. And I kept looking down the road, and there she was. She was out pulling weeds. And I'm thinking, ha, ah, I've been praying for this, Lord. And so I go down there, and I see her, and, and we sat for two hours. And she goes, you know, I really don't like Christians. But what you did made a difference. We had tried to get toilet paper, and we just couldn't do it. And my, my husband has not left the house because he has a condition that if he gets COVID, is probably going to die. And you were a lifesaver. She said, we, we rationed out that toilet paper and use square by square, and then, oh, and thank you for the Kleenex. They do well, too. <laughs> and she heard the gospel because somebody served her before they shared with her. Oh, dear friend, do you even know your neighbor's names? Have you shared with them? Have you reached out to them? College student, do you know the people in your class? Employee, do you know the people that you work around, whether they know the Lord or not? You see, the commission is to the nations, but it starts with you and your neighbor. Well, the last thing is this, and then I'll close with a story. Not only are we to complete his commission, go and make disciples, not call them here, but go to them, and then they'll come here. Did you get that? Don't call them here. You go to them, and then they'll come here. You bring them here. That's what the teaching them and discipling them and baptizing them is all about. The last thing is we're to compile his community. His community is the church, the body of believers. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 3, not only did he appear with proofs to prove that he was alive, but he spoke about the kingdom of God, redirected their thinking. Can I just tell you something that's shocking? The kingdom is not made of churches. It's made of people. It's not a building. It's a body. Now, I want to tell you something very important. When you go to heaven, the question I have for you is who's coming with you. Because if you're trying to build the kingdom here, you're doing exactly what they were wanting Jesus to do when he said, will you overthrow Israel? You see, here's the key. The only thing that goes to heaven is you and the people you bring to Jesus. That's the only thing that goes to heaven. Now, you can go uh, to Egypt, and I've been there, and you go to the pyramids, and I've been there, and, and you, can, you can look inside this boat that they built for one of the, the pharaohs that would send it off with him, and the boat is still here. He's gone, but the boat's here. It didn't quite make it to the afterlife because we found it. So if you think you're taking stuff with you, the only thing you're taking with you is those that you bring into the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit as you proclaim a resurrected Lord. Dear friend, are you doing that? Is your mouth silent after Easter? Are you saying, have you heard about my resurrected Lord? 
For 40 days, Jesus presented himself alive with many proofs. Tuesday, this Tuesday, is 40 days till Pentecost. Listen carefully to me. For the first time in many, many, many years, Tuesday is also the first day of Ramadan. God is ready to do something if you're ready to let him. Curtis and I prayed about this, and he wants me to encourage you with this, just like I encouraged him, and he, he had to obey me, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would ask you in the next three days, today, Monday, and Tuesday, to pray. Lord, help me to seek you and share you for the next 30 days, the next 40 days. And that you would go to your neighbor and maybe take a little homemade cookies. Tell them that you made them with your hand, use gloves, and you had a basque. Whatever you need to tell them. I haven't had anybody refuse. Ask if you can pray with them. Don't try to share Jesus with them. Just ask if you can pray. Every one of my neighbors, all 26 homes, not one of them has said, every month as we... Susan and I prepare something to take. We're going to take Fourth of July stuff with it. We took spring stuff too. We took a little, bat, a little thing just with stuff in it. And over the last year, we've been there every month dropping something at their house and praying with them and encouraging them. I know everything that's going on in their life and have prayed for them. We pray for them all the time. Not one of them has refused prayer. Went to South Padre Island. When I went to South Padre Island, just me and one other guy, we said, how are we going to reach this massive number of people? This year, we went this year. Because the governor opened the state and we said, we're going. I asked and asked if anybody else could go and nobody could go. Two of us in a van went down there and we shared the gospel. But we prayed in three days, three hours a day on the beach with 60 people and not one of them said we couldn't pray with them. Ten of them from another country. I didn't say we couldn't pray with them. Listen to me. Pandemic prayer is what people need. And your neighbors are hurting the most. Your coworkers are hurting the most. Those people who sit beside you in class are hurting the most. And they need a Christian to say, my Lord is risen and he answers prayer. How can I pray for you? Dear friend, for the next 40 days, beginning Tuesday, I want to challenge you to pray with one person a day. And if the Lord opens a door, you share the gospel with them. You want to take that challenge? Are you willing to stand up and say, I will do like the disciples did when they saw the resurrected Lord and go all over and begin to proclaim? If you do that and the next service does that, we can reach by calculation 16,000 people in 40 days. That's kids that you work with, parents that you work with, coworkers that you work with, senior adults you play whatever you play with. Will you take the challenge? See, it's not about building a new building. It's about building the kingdom one person at a time as you share the gospel with them and let God do the work. That's all you got to do. Well, the last thing is God's provision. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I'm leaving that for Curtis next week. 20 years ago, a family from the church came and asked me if I would lead a Bible study for them. They knew that I was teaching Old and New Testament at WT, and 
they knew that I had studied the Bible, not that I knew all about it, but they said, buddy, we just want you to come and we'll have it in our home and we'll invite people to come. So 20 years ago, every week I would go and I would lead that Bible study with them. As a result of that, they began to, to have a, a heart for the nations and they began to reach out to the international students that we were ministering to and they began to love on the Chinese students. They'd have them in their home all the time and God began to break their heart for the Chinese people. And so by God's plan and God's purpose, they packed up and went to Taiwan, their whole family. And they began to share the gospel there, but they still weren't satisfied. They said, there, there are a lot of Christians in Taiwan, but I want to go beyond. I want, I want to go beyond here. I want to go into China. So the Lord opened the door for them to go to China. And so they packed up and took their family, and they went to a small community in China where they didn't know if there were any believers, and if there were, there were so few they couldn't know. And they began to minister, and they began to reach out to the people there in that uh, town in China, in southern China. And as they began to reach out to them, the man who went there, the American, the one who was in the Bible, said, I'm not going to mention his name for security reasons. But, but he went there, and he was a pharmaceutical salesman. He had a business savvy about him. And he began to meet these businessmen, these Chinese businessmen who didn't know the Lord, but, the, but they spoke English very well. He didn't have to learn Chinese. And he began to share the gospel with them. And here's what happened, to make the long story short. Seven of these very influential businessmen in this community came to faith. And so much like I did with Curtis and much like I did with him, he said, now, now that you're a believer, you need to read your Bible and do what God says. And he started by reading, not in, about baptism or anything like that. He'd already talked about that, but he started by reading this passage. You're going to receive power and you'll be my witnesses. And they said, well, what does that mean? He says, this is what it means. Every day for the next seven days, I want you to share the gospel with one person. I don't care if it's at midnight, but you don't go to bed until you share the gospel with one person. And these seven men, not knowing any better, <laughs> they had just become believers. They, they read the word of God. That's what it said to do. They're not like us, hardened believers that can harden our heart. They weren't like us. They were ready to go. So they did. And they came back together at the end of the week, and he was encouraging all the way through. And this was, this was those days when you had the, the text where you had to punch in a, a letter and then go to the next one and go to the next one, and it was so hard to do. But he did it. At the end of the week, they come back, and they all had an opportunity to win somebody to Christ in, the, in those seven days. One of them, he's got the nickname Machine Gun, because he said, how many were we supposed to bring to Christ? They said, well, we just asked you to share with seven people, and if you, if you brought one, that was great. He goes, well, is 20 too many? <laughs> and, they, and my friend just goes, 20? You brought 20 people to faith? He said, yes, I would share with them and then share with their family and their whole family would come to faith and then I would ask them that they have friends that don't know Jesus and I would share with them. And I want to tell you something. In a short time, he was sharing with 20, 30, 40, 50 people and working full time in his business. Here they were in a community with very few believers. And within about two years, there were 10,000 believers, and multiple house churches that started. It was against the law to share the gospel. It is not here. It was against the law to knock on a door or to speak Christ. Machine gun, the last time I was there, four times to walk with him. I remember the first time I met him, and I, I, I we went up into this room 
uh, in one of their homes. They had me take my cell phone and hand it to them. They took it and put it in another room and put on a noisemaker so the communist government couldn't tap into our phones and hear us praying and talking about Jesus. But you should have heard him pray. Oh my, you should have heard him pray. And they just looked at me and said, you're the man that discipled the man that came to us. And I said, well, Jesus did, but I helped him. And he goes, come, you're welcome in our home. Machine gun gave me this. It's the shirt that he wore all around the city. It says, Yesu Adi, Jesus loves you. It's against the law to share the gospel in China. He wore this everywhere. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, and because he was an influential businessman that no Chinese authority would mess with, (laughs) thousands of people came to Jesus. You see, when machine gun steps into the kingdom, he's going to be greeted by all those that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God let him bring into the kingdom. Are we compiling the community of faith? Are we sitting callously at home doing nothing? You are connected with so many people who need to hear the gospel, and all you have to do is say, can I pray with you? That's all you have to do, and let the Holy Spirit go from there. Will you knock on a door? Will you ask, I'm your neighbor, and I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that for 40 days you proved that you are alive from the dead. And so, Lord, we want to take this challenge as well to go about to prove that you are alive from the dead. And so, Father, we call down your power of your spirit as came down at Pentecost that you would help us to pray and to go in these 40 days before Pentecost. They would also pray for those in Islam, our Muslim friends, Father, that during this time of Ramadan, when they're seeking after something that's false, they will find something that's true. And so, Father, may your name and your renown go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.